am excited to show you what I've found in God's Word this week. Um, I'm excited about today's sermon, Discovery, um, and coming on the heels of Talk It Up, um, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of reading about God's people building things. The thing is, I, um, I'm stuck on a title, and I remain stuck on a title uh, even until last night, and so I'm just going to let you choose the title. You have three options. Option one is artisanal worship. Artisanal is a word that peaked about, oh, 15 years ago. It's the idea that something is made by artisans, it's handcrafted. Now it's become kind of a term for, um, well, it just allows Starbucks to charge you more for a sandwich than you should. But there's still, it's still a good word. Um, and I've, I'm wearing my grandfather's watch today that was made by an artisan. Uh, the, the jewel, the lens that he had put in here was put on there, made by hand by someone with craft. So that's option A. Option B is building worship. And here building is, a, is the verb. It's not, but it has kind of a, a double meaning. You have your building, but you're also building the verb. And so in some sense, we are building worship. We're structuring it and putting it together. And then the last one is making worship. And this is a twist on worship, n- not just being an activity that we do, but it's, it's putting a twist on that and reminding us that worship is also something we make. Okay, so how many for option A? Wow. How many for option B? How many for option C? How many of you don't care? <laughs> That's sad. You're going to get the same sermon anyway, but um, we'll just call it Making Worship. I think that one won, so that'll be our title. And uh, the text I want to take you to is Exodus, by the way, you know, for all of you who invested in that title, you participated in worship. You made an investment. You, you were engaged and you made, you built worship. And maybe even some of you used your skills with words to know which one sounded best. I was stymied, but now I'm doing okay. All right, Exodus 35, 36 is where I want to take you, and I want to show you what I discovered there. Uh, This is a text that I often, I'm going to admit to you, I've often avoided this section of Exodus. Not because it's the Old Testament, because I want to say right here and now, and I want you to hear this correctly, the Old Testament is the Word of God. If we treat the Old Testament as if it's some... uh, Oh, quaint little museum piece that's expired, but now it's worth about as much as Confederate money. You're going to miss out on God's Word as it comes to us from the Old Testament. If you have a Bible that is just the New Testament, you've been ripped off. They they didn't even give you 50% of a whole Bible, so better take it back to the bookstore and tell them you want the rest of it. it is God's Word, and I'm going to tell you this. We can know it's God's Word, and, it, um, and, and you can believe that and not worry that tomorrow we're, or next week we're going to have to start sacrificing goats, okay? It, it, you can still believe that that's God's Word and, and not worry about that. But that's another lesson. 
Uh, here in Exodus 35, 36, I've avoided it often because I thought it's just a boring set of fussy instructions. It's like reading a tax return. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing inspiring here, and I was wrong. When you start to look into this, you start to notice something great going on. In fact, everybody skips through this, and, and, the, and you know what they focus on? This section, the golden calf. Of all things, they focus on the golden calf. I guess because it was in the movie. Um, But this is, what you have here is much better than the golden calf. Uh, The golden calf is kind of a bad idea. It's poorly done. Uh, You know, if you watch that, that, that old Ten Commandments movie, you would think that the whole thing is about building that golden calf. Poor old Moses up around that mountain. Special effects is right in the Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, they're having the biggest Hollywood party you'd ever imagine down at the foot of Mount Sinai. And I mean, the budget is broke at that point. They're just spending it all so that they can have pagan revelry. And then that's it. That's it. Have a little soft ending. You know, Moses stands up there. He's old. He's got a big white beard, real fake looking. I'm not going to make it to the promised land. When you look at the rest of this, there's something much... I wish they had put this part in the story. Because there's something great going on here. I'm going to start reading. And by the way, people ask me, well, what what, what version are you reading? Um, it's It's a patchwork version. I've taken the New Living Translation and the message and sort of merge them to get, can you do that? I mean, that's like that, you know, that's like, you know, uh, mixing uh, uh, milk and meat or something, you know. It's, uh, you know, what, what, what are you doing here? But yeah, you can do that because each one of them gives a little nuance that I think is important to catch here. Uh, so 35 is New Living Translation, 36 is the message. Verse 4 of chapter 35, Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat hair for cloth. Tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gemstones, all to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest plate. Come, every one of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle and its sacred tent. Okay, right here in this opening section, you get an idea of what we're all about to discover in this story. In this, this is not just an inventory list. It's got an inventory in it. This is not just a set of instructions. It's got instructions in it. But bigger than both of those, something is happening. A story is happening, and it has meaning. Verse 5, take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present their gifts to the Lord. This all begins with generosity, with people giving. When they made the golden calf, Aaron went around and said, I want your gold earrings. 
you know, the gold calf is imagined as if it's, you know, this big, huge golden calf, you know, like you see in the movie. Thing's probably about the size of a chihuahua, okay? And, and uh, you know, it's a little old tiny thing, you know, and probably look like a chihuahua in my imagination, too. And, and so, because they're, all they're doing is they're just giving up their earrings. Here, it's like, we need stuff. Everybody needs to bring stuff, and it's all sorts of stuff. We're going to need wood. We're going to need, uh, I mean, that list is fantastic on the one hand. Gold, silver, bronze. You've got all your Olympic medals in there. But then it's just got, it's got special stuff, but you're going to have some ram skin, some acacia wood, uh, some onyx stones. I mean, that's sort of like saying, oh, yeah, and we're going to need some drywall and a little bit of paint. Okay, there's some things in there that are kind of ordinary, but they're going to become something beautiful and special. So God's asking for all of this, and where does it come from? Where do they get this? They don't have to go and mine it from the side of the magic mountain where the elves live. It's them. They come up with it. This doesn't fall out of heaven brought to them by angels. They provide it. Second thing. There's a call to the craftsmen. We need skilled people. If you're going to build a hospitality house for God, if you're going to build a place where he can dwell, maybe, just maybe, it ought to be constructed by an angelic army. I mean, you know, our armed forces, we have construction crews like the Seabees. Maybe they've got one of those in heaven too, you know. God sends these constructing angels that show up, and boom, they build this thing out of uh, metals that don't even exist. But no. God says, who's got skills out there? Who knows how to do something? They get everybody. They get people who make thread. They get people who make yarn. They get people who know how to uh, tan hides. They, they, they They get people who know how to carve wood. They get all of these different skilled craftspeople together. They say, we want everybody to come together. And then, verse 10, you're going to make something. You're going to make this. Now, in a nutshell, that's what's happening. They are, Moses, by God's command, is inviting all the people to participate in an important project. A project that will shape their identity for millennia. What's going on in this text, what's going on in that moment, is going to shape their identity for thousands of years to come. Yes, the tabernacle doesn't survive forever. It's replaced by the temple. That temple's replaced by another temple. And then now we're in the age of the spiritual temple. But you know what? Even though we're in the age of the spiritual temple, it makes sense because of what you had back then it begins to shape their understanding of how God lives with them. This is not a, you read the end of Exodus. This isn't a containment box where you stick God. This is like a little camp house that God shows up and says, I'm going to live with you. He, do you remember another story where God came and dwelled among us? say, in the form of Jesus Christ and the tent and the tabernacle that he dwelled in then was the human body. And our human body is described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you see all the connections? What happens in this text is shaping the identity of God's people 
even to this day. And where does it come from? Three invitations to give, to share their skills, and to share their efforts. I want to look at each one of these. First of all, they are called to bring sacred offerings. It's not the details of the plan that matter most. It's the enthusiastic response. The response that the people show to get involved in this project. They want to show hospitality to God. They want to respect God. They want to have a place where they will commune and live with God. And his presence will be among them. And they don't contain him or lock him up. When the cloud comes, when the pillar of fire lives in the tabernacle, they're all good. They're going to stick around. They're going to gather around the camp. But when it picks up and leaves, they're going to follow. They're going to go where God takes them. God chooses to dwell with them. And what we learn is that people give when their hearts are, and their spirits are moved and stirred. They give out of their own wealth, their own treasures, whatever they have or whatever they can make. Men and women both give. Everybody is involved to participate in this. You know, I love this. I'm going to tell you why I'm so excited about this. Because this, for me, is one of the best scriptures on giving. Now, I'm going to confess a few things to you. I've, I've, I've struggled with scriptures on giving for quite a number of years. I know that we've got good scriptures on giving. You've got uh, Paul praising the Macedonians of to the Corinthians and talking about what generous givers they are. But every time I hear that, that's sort of like disaster relief. It's like a special one-time thing. and Okay, that's fine. Then you have Acts. Everybody shares. Everything in common. Nothing cons- nobody considers anything their own. They're sharing everything. And I know that that's biblical, and I know that that's right. But I'm just going to confess to you, I'm having trouble these days not hearing that in Bernie Sanders' voice. Now, I know that text is older than Bernie Sanders. Not by much, but, it's, but it is older. And I get that. I'm just saying that I'm looking for something that teaches me about giving. Well, there's a command. You know the command, lay by in store. Well, i got two problems with that. One is it's a command. That doesn't encourage anything. You just do it. Why? Because you're supposed to. You've got to have more than that. And lay by in store. That sounds like a financing plan at Walmart. Lay by in store. There's a noun missing in that phrase somewhere. Okay? I'm not making fun of Scripture. I'm making fun of the way we talk. All of those can can be understood by this Scripture. The people give because... The Spirit of God stirs up generosity in their hearts and in their spirits. So whatever they have to do, whether it's to store up goods, whether it's to save up goods, but they are, they are motivated to give with willing hearts. And notice that this command has also the, the, the tone of an invitation they are not told to give a certain percentage or told to It's just let anyone who's willing to give. And you know how successful it is? 
Take a look at chapter 36, verses 6 and 7. Oh, I love this. I wonder if you've ever even heard this before. In verses 36, um, start in verse 4. All the artisans who were at work making everything involved in constructing the sanctuary, they came one after another. That means this isn't just one meeting. I mean, everybody's showing up and they're going to talk to Moses and they're saying, the people are bringing more than enough for doing this work that God has commanded us to do. So Moses sends order out through the camp. Men, women, no more offerings for building the sanctuary. The people were ordered to stop bringing offerings. There was plenty of material for the work to be done. Enough and more than enough. I would love for us to have this problem. Wouldn't you? I mean, to be participating in it. We're not passing the tray today. We've got, we've got bags of money that we don't know what to do with right now. We're going to be okay. But seriously, I want you to think about what happens. Some of you may not be familiar with how we do our budgets and our giving and our offering around here. All of the people involved in that do a fantastic job. I want to say that start. They deal with complex budgets. They deal with complex expenditures. And they make sense out of it, and I'm impressed. One of the first things you have to do, though, because and by the way, what's wonderful about it is they're planning. There is a planning that goes on. One of the first things that has to be done, and it's the responsibility of the elders, is to set an estimation. Look in your bulletin. There is an estimated giving per week. That number is 17,000. Why is it 17,000? Because that's pretty much what we've been able to do. What if, when that moment happens, the elders say, you know what? I think that number could go a lot higher. That would be our version of this moment where it's like, oh my goodness. We, what if, just what if the elders could say, hey listen... We know you want to give a lot more, but we're setting the number at 20,000. 20,000 will be just fine. What I want you to know is 17,000 is the number that we think will cover everything, although we do have to make some adjustments. I mean, cuts are made. But it's not necessarily the number that we think is all sufficient for everything that we want to do. That's no criticism to everybody. I'm just pointing out that maybe we need to give some feedback. I mean, we're, we're gauging it on our giving and saying, now listen, you tell us the number you need, and we'll get there. If it's $20,000, we will get there. And you can't depend on a few individuals to do this. Everybody has to get invested. I'm just painting a picture of what if. What if that could happen? Wouldn't that be... Uh, hey, you know what? Don't come to me and tell me, I don't know that that'll work. I want to wait and see. Let's see if it works. And let's see how we all feel. Now, that number is going to be 17,000 as far as I know. But that number isn't the number that we have to stop at. <laughs> Let us give like these people who were so excited to participate in what God was doing that they had willing hearts, that finally somebody had to say, slow down, you're giving, you're giving enough. We've got enough. 
Please don't give any more. I'd love to see us get to that point. And I'll tell you what, if God stirs us up, we can. If he could do it with them, he can do it with us. Be in prayer about that. Second, oh, by the way, in some of this um, we've been talking about, let's just tie this back into the talk it up. You know, one of the questions we had to ask, and many of you asked it, I saw in the notes, and and it's good. It's a question that, that we're all asking is, we've got all these great ideas. How will we pay for it? That's a good question. And there's going to be some discussions about, you know, do we want to save up money? That's called raising capital. Do we want to, um, uh, do we want to sell bonds? That's been done before. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it sounds good and, and formal. And, uh, or, you know, or do we just want to, like, finance it, go get a loan, and then we're all paying down the loan? I, mean, I don't know. How do we want to do this? There's all kinds of options. One of the best things that's been said by many people is we need to find out what the best way is, just like we've been thinking about the plan. But we're going to leave room for God. But the other answer to the question, how will we pay for this? We're going to pay for this the same way we pay for everything around here. Generosity, giving, offering. It's the only way we can give. We don't have, um, you know, a, a, a money printing machine in the basement of this church. We don't even have a basement. We, 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 we don't, you know, we're not taking your offering over to Choctaw Casino and putting it on uh, Red 15, you know, because God gave us a dream or a vision. Okay, we're not doing that. The only way we have to pay for anything is we share, we give. And what this text shows us is that the power of generosity is massive. When that generosity is stirred by God's Spirit, it can be overwhelming in all the best ways. I think that's why they're considered sacred offerings. Second thing is the people were filled with skill. God personally chooses Bezalel and Aholiab. Now, when's the last time you heard of these guys? This might be the first time you've ever heard of them. But I'm reading this and I'm realizing they're pretty special. Uh, Chapter 36 um, says that, um, or actually it's the end of chapter 35. Moses told the people of Israel, The Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and the Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, bronze. He's skilled in engraving, mounting gemstones, carving wood. He's a master at every craft. And the Lord has given both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, scarlet thread, on fine linen cloth, and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers. 
I know I've got the pronunciation of Bezalel down pretty good. I don't know about Aholahab, but what does it matter, you know? Uh, you know it's not like you're going to get him confused with someone else. The point is, these guys have their skill, not because of what art school they went to or because of what design academy they were in. What does the text say? God gave it to them. He gave them their skills. He especially appointed them. These men are God's contractors. When you can put on your resume that you did a project for God, that's a pretty good endorsement for your company. I mean, can you imagine the the commercial for their architecture, you know, uh, for their contractor firm, you know? God shows up. They built my house. I'm really happy with this. But God picks them. God chooses them. Don't make light of the skills that God has given you. And please don't say, oh, God hasn't given me any skills. Do you think that God is so busy that he hasn't thought about you? Do you think that God somehow, that you got, you got left behind, that uh, you know, all the lines for skills went over here and you're over there? You have some kind of skill, whether you know it or not. Or it may be that you need to get close to someone who has some kind of skill and learn. Because the other thing that's special about Bezalel and Aholiab is that they can teach others. Here's what I think that means for us. Not just in building stuff, but we have skills. When we come together for worship, there are so many skills that go into this moment before this moment even begins. And some of it's not even our skills in this congregation. We are singing songs that other people have written. And whether it's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman or the Gathers or Badger's Hymns, did you notice that? I think it's impressive that a badger can write music. Whether it's Bernard of Clairvaux, which is just a wonderful name to say, or, or, or whether it's Fanny J. Crosby. I mean, you can't say, well, these are the good songs, these are not the good. These were gifted people who used their gifts to write songs that now are complete when you and I are singing them. We're crafting worship. We're building worship. We're making worship in conjunction. That Those trays did not just magically appear with the bread and wine in them. The, this technology doesn't just work on its own. People are involved, and let me tell you, if you are one of the leaders in any one of these areas, and the ones that I haven't even mentioned, you need to be training somebody. You need to find somebody and start training them how to do this. And if you aren't really involved in anything right now, I'm just going to put it that bluntly, find someone to teach you or find a way to get involved. There is a way. But everybody's involved at some level in participation. It's what we believe in. Some of the, I love it when I see the kids serving communion with their fathers or with their grandfathers or with other men. I love it when John Priester's leading singing for the Joy Bunch, and he's got two trainees there with him. I love seeing this. But there's other ways that this happens as well. All sorts of ways. I shouldn't have to explain it all to you. Pray about it. 
think about it, but understand God has given you a skill. He's filled you with some skill for the purpose of making worship. Now, here's the part I really like. This is the part I'm really excited about. These words jumped out. This is why I went to the NIV and why I like the message in chapter 36. How many times does it say, they made? Just go through there sometime and count it. I stopped at 30. Because I, 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 was, I was like, okay, that's enough. They made, they made, they made. Some versions will say he made. They're talking about Bezalel. But, of course, he's not doing it all, one man. He and his crew, and he's already got another assistant that's named. But verse 8, chapter 36, talks about the designers, the, cra- the artisans who were part of the building of the dwelling place, the sanctuary, the tent. They made, they made, they made. They keep building this thing, and it's building up to something. The worship of Israel doesn't even begin until this thing is put together. They're making it. They're building the structure where they can meet with God. I think this shows us very clearly that worship is not just something we do. It's something that we together make. Sometimes we have this spectator view of worship. And I'd like to see us get rid of that. That everything that happens, you know, I mean, is right up here. And you've shown up today because you might get an interesting lesson, you might not. You might learn something, you might not. You're here to sing a song, you're here to see what songs they're going to sing. might be your favorite, it might not. You're going to give a little if it's good, you're going to give a lot if you like it. But you've got to do the, the most important thing, and that's take the communion, or otherwise God's going to be mad at you all week. We have this spectator mentality, and it's not biblical at all. I mean, it's, and by the way, maybe we don't think about it as crassly as I just explained it. Oh, I don't think that's the way we think about it. Folks, what are we sitting in right now? An auditorium. An auditorium is a place where you audit, I guess. I always remember auditors were those people who came to our college classes, but they weren't really invested in it. You know, we'd all be sitting around sweating for the test. First time I met an auditor, someone auditing a college class, we're all sweating for this test. This guy just sitting there smiling. So don't you worry about it? He goes, no, I don't have to take the test. I'm just an auditor. Oh, how do we get in on that deal? An auditor, though, just shows up and gets whatever he wants out of it. And at the end of the day, though, it doesn't really matter. He doesn't earn anything. We are not auditors in worship, okay? In fact, you know, we started calling these little areas neighborhoods. I love that. Can we start calling this place the workshop? Because that's what you see in Exodus. They go into, they build in a workshop. They are building their worship. They're constructing it. When you and I come together on the Lord's Day, you know what we've just done here? We've built worship. We've constructed a worship. We've constructed a product of praise for God. We've put something together. 
we ought to think of ourselves like children in the art, you know, and, and when you take arts and craft when you're children, and they're always telling you to make something to give to your parents. And those of you who've experienced this, your kid brings you something. It, it's, a, it's, it's like, it's something. It's like a toilet paper roll that's been painted with paint, and it's got popcorn stuck to it, and popsicle sticks, and it's got a googly eye on it, and they give it to you, and they here, what's this? It's an elephant. Okay. You know, it doesn't look anything like an elephant. It's even not the right color as an elephant. It's orange. But that's okay. And you know what? You cherish that little piece of whatever. My mother for years hung this little Santa ornament on her tree made out of a toilet paper roll and a cotton ball. We still have it. The cotton ball's gone. Santa's gone bald. But why do parents love that? Because somebody made something for them. When you and I come together, we make worship for God. And He is pleased to dwell with us. I want you to think about that as we get ready for every Lord's Day. We have the opportunity to make something. This last line, when they put all this together... And I mean, think about what they've been doing. They've been making hooks. They've been making, they've been sewing stuff. I mean, it's mad when you start reading through all of it, all of the things that they do. They're carving wood. There's every single gift you can imagine going on there. And they're not, they don't even have power tools. And they're doing all of this. And then they all, they, they bring it to Moses. They show it to Moses. Moses says, this is all right. He's checking it out. And again, you, we can't read this with the fussy eyes that say, this is okay, this is fine. I mean, I, you really, Moses is looking at this and he's saying, oh, this is good. This is really good. And you know why I know that? Because God wouldn't have picked someone who doesn't know his business. He personally chose those two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, who are in charge of this thing. And so then this last line, the people of Israel did what God commanded Moses they did it all. It's like, it's complete. It's good. They did it. And isn't it just the most wonderful sign of grace that in all of this, I mean, you could say, we could go false humility on this and just say, well, you know, God made all things. I mean, God made the trees and made the, the animals that gave. Yeah, we get that. But in God's grace, they get to say, they made it. They made it. We made it. God is happy for us to show up and say, God, here's our worship. We made this. When you show up at the workshop, and I don't mean the praise and harmony workshop, although that, that too. I mean our workshop, our worship workshop. Next Lord's Day and every Lord's Day we're given after that. What can you bring to make some worship? And we need all of you. Because the more of us who are making this worship it pleases God. The answer to the question, what will we make? Whether it's our worship, our spiritual worship, or whether it's the buildings and the, the, the things that we're hoping to construct, making places where we can come together and meet and worship, all of that. The answer to the question, what will we make, is answered by another question. What would you do to make God happy?
What would you do to please him? As we sing this next song, if you need any prayers of encouragement or if it's your desire to be a disciple of Christ, baptized into Christ, I'm going to invite you to come up while we sing this song. Let's stand. Let's make worship.